We are back. Football is almost back. Premier League is almost back. A lot of things are back. My back hurts, though, unfortunately. This is Blinded by Sports on KJAX Spotify, the Cannon Clark podcast. I am your host, the Cannon Clark himself, Sean Clark. We are back with another week of split episodes on the KJAX Spotify. I am joined by my great friend and co-host, Colin Fuchs, all the way down in Orlando, Florida, but still a Seattle fan at heart. Colin, how we doing? Doing well, Sean. Uh, semester, my new semester of school just started, so I'm rocking just two classes this semester. Uh, definitely getting a little busier on the site, as you've seen. A few more articles from myself have popped up. Uh, and yeah, you know, just continuing to live life here in Orlando, getting back into the swing of things here at work during this busy Labor Day weekend. But overall, you know, doing great. How you doing, Sean? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. The fact that NFL and Premier League are coming back is, is beautiful. Those are the, my two favorite leagues. And the fact that they are coming back, is just, it just brings so much joy to my heart. Be sure to check out thecandaclark.com for a lot of content that's going to come out with that. It's going to be a really busy week for the site. But, hey, it will be worth it because it's all going to be fun and dandy. So let's get into this, shall we? Lionel Messi, considered one of the greatest players of all time, has, has opted to stay at FC Barcelona despite voicing his displeasure with the club and wanting to leave. He had a $700 million release clause, which, sorry, Euro release clause, which is absolutely ridiculous. No club could possibly pay that, and there was no way to get rid of that release clause. So Messi is staying another year despite voicing his displeasure with Barcelona's presidency and board he will stay and then next year leave on a free transfer Colin what are your thoughts on this whole saga it's it's really disheartening to see someone with the class and the quality that Lionel Messi has provided to La Liga year in and year out Um, obviously not the full success with Argentina but he's still their top goal scorer he's given like I said last week he's given everything he can to this club and the club ownership itself has given him no respect. Joseph Maria Bar- Bartomeu has lost all respect for me, has lost a lot of respect from La Liga ownership, simply because they could have let go of the release clause. It's his contract that he's given everything he can to this club. And so the ownership group could have looked over his contract again and go, you know what, you've done everything you can. We appreciate everything you've done for us. Best of luck. Similar to what Real Madrid did for the transfer to Juventus itself, they let they let Real, uh, Ronaldo go with no issue. Messi, unfortunately, is not getting that same treatment. So I'm expecting Messi to start, you know, maybe riding the bench a little more. Don't expect – I expect him to maybe pick up a little more golf, maybe get a man bun. Oh, wait, no, I'm talking Gareth Bale here. But I'm, taking, I'm seeing Lionel Messi pulling a Gareth Bale. Yes, he's a natural leader. That's who he is. That's who he's had to be for Barcelona. But if he wants to – continue to shove his way out and get his way later on he has to show I'm here for the club just because I have to be here you know it's the whole Marshawn Lynch kind of thing I'm just here so I don't get fined and so with that being said don't don't expect I expect Lionel Messi to be on the field every now and then he'll he'll participate because that's the player he is he'll step up when he has to but I don't see this being the same uh league dominant Messi that we're used to seeing I don't see him 
being game in, game out, a consistent starter. That's not who he's going to be. This is going to be a transition year for Lionel Messi. And I'd be shocked if it wasn't. I'd be shocked to see him take the same role that he was in because then he's just showing, yeah, I'll give you everything I've got, but I already did that for you. Why should I have to do it again? He's, he was treated almost like a guinea pig project. He was treated poorly. He put It's just unfair to him. And someone who has been a role model to me as a player and as a person in general, uh, you know, barring the, the tax evasion stuff, as a player and just of his pure quality and someone I've grown up watching for years, he's had this incredible story. And for it to have to take a pause like this in Barcelona and not let him continue what his greatness can be or what it already is now is just really unfortunate. So boo to the Barcelona ownership group, but good for Messi to still show up and still, like I said, expect Messi to pull Gareth Bale and start maybe taking up a little bit more golf. I mean, I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't want to play for Barcelona. The fact that they have had transfer after transfer, that's just, just absolutely nothing. And they didn't even have the respect to let him go is pretty sad. You're absolutely right. You can't pay $700 million euro release. Call. That's, that, that, that's, that's absurd. It, it's, it's just sad. Messi deserves way better. Even though I don't think he's the greatest player of all time, he is certainly one of the best. And he's been a very classy player for most of his career. He deserves better than this. Also, eight to two. Come on, like, don't, do, like, he literally is on a club that lost eight to two. That's bad. That that that's really bad. This is not the same Barcelona we've grown accustomed to seeing. This would be like having a teacher, Sean, that you've had for four years, say in high school, right? You start your freshman year with them. You've grown with them. They've grown with you. They've seen all the potential you have to be. Oh, hey, guess what? I'm going to fail you, so you have to stay with me an extra year, and you don't get to graduate. Having all that work that you've done get ripped out from you just because someone doesn't want to see you go or someone's being selfish, it's just unfair. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Well, let's talk about something much more positive in, in uh, football, which is Kai Havertz, an attacking midfield for Bayer Leverkusen, 21 years old, has agreed to a deal with Chelsea for a fee of 70 million euros. Chelsea's front line is completely loaded with talent. Their back line is reinforced. Chelsea fans are very, very excited for this club season. What is your reaction to Kai Havertz, also Thiago Silva, signing with Chelsea? Absolutely. I mean, we, we've seen it coming. This is not a transfer that really shocked anyone by any means. We know the details have been iffy, but now that it's official, along with the Thiago Silva signing, so you're telling me this team that was, you know, already in the top five, top six for most of the season and was constantly fighting back and forth with Manchester United and even Man City and Liverpool to really fight up their way up the league has now brought in talent or has talent like Hakeem Ziyech Tammy Abraham, Christian Pulisic, Thiago Silva, Malang Sar, another under-the-radar signing, by the way, Ben Chilwell, and Timo Werner. You're kidding me. You're telling me a team that has all this young talent now is going to continue to work together, plus some veteran leadership like Thiago Silva? I understand they're still working on the Kepa situation, but that's fine. He'll still get his kinks worked out. I still don't expect him to see him in the Chelsea Blue for the rest of this season. I expect a transfer to be made for a more veteran goalkeeper. 
But this team, for them to be able to gel and get this chemistry, it's going to take a little bit. I don't think that Chelsea, they'll get their wins in the beginning of the season, but this isn't going to be like the Liverpool side that we saw at the beginning of last season. This isn't going to be like the Manchester City side that we saw at the beginning of last season, where they were truly just dominating games, and you knew they were going to be outright front runners to win the league. This is going to be a team, though, however, that as the season progresses and gets older, and we actually get hopefully a full season that's not going to get another pause by some pandemic, they're going to start to gel together. They're going to start to figure each other out. They're going to start outrunning a lot of players. This is going to be a team that's really going to be a force later in the stretch because they have that youth. And Kai Havertz being alongside that and proving how well he did for Bayern Leverkusen at only 21 years old, and they just have the rest of this youth to continue to push forward. You're telling me a team that's now average age is about 23 to 24 years old is going to continue to run this league? Chelsea's going to be dominant, not only, I won't say this year, give them the year, ne- the next year and the following maybe three to four seasons that this Chelsea team's going to be dangerous. And don't be surprised if we see them in a Champions League semifinal, Champions League final, because they have the talent there. It's just, can they get that chemistry and can they get that development? Because you've talked about it, Sean, especially with Ben Chilwell, and you talked about guys like uh, Tiago Silva coming in and adding that experience. You talked very highway, highly of Ben Chilwell. And now, you know, here he is. We've got the signing that you wanted. This is a team that's going to make deep runs into future cups. And don't expect – I expect them to – they could get doubles, maybe an, another treble for this club. Who knows? Chelsea's got a bright future ahead of them. They do. And I, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. I, I, I will go further into this in the next segment ahead of the count with Johnny Crane where we pick our top four. But I'll just say – I think Chelsea will finish second in the Premier League this season. It's a bold pick. I think they'll finish ahead of Liverpool. The biggest reason is Chelsea was fourth place last year with a terrible back line, shoddy goalkeeping, a very youthful and inexperienced attack. You're telling me that they now have a loaded attack, probably the best in the Premier League, a reinforced back line, and still a solid midfield. Oh, yeah, I expect them to gain at least 10 more points this season, if not 15. I think they're going to be a much better club. We're not going to see them lose to West Ham. That just isn't happening this season. The results like that last year is what held them back from being a a contender for second place, and I think this year they'll get second place. But I'll go more into that real quick, Colin, before we transition across the pond. Uh, Just rattle off your top four in the Premier League. Yeah, because I know you and uh, Johnny Crane are going to be doing this in a following segment. So here's my top four since you're going to be doing yours later. So as I talked about in the previous weeks, my number one is going to be Manchester City. Coming down that later to the stretch, especially going into the Champions League, they were obviously just a better team. This was the highest – they had the best goal differential, and they were also the highest scoring offense in the Premier League, and they just continue to do it year in and year out. As we've just learned within the past few hours – Kevin De Bruyne was also the PFA overall player of the year, which anyone else, I would have been baffled if they received it. Kevin De Bruyne was easily the best player last season, especially in the Champions League, where I believe he showed the most heart and the most drive for this team. Expect Manchester City to be in first. I think Liverpool then uh, switched with them, take that second place. They could have broken the total points record. They could have done so much better in the Champions League and even in the FA Cup as well. 
but this team was you could tell what they were focused on and we all knew what they were focused on and that was Premier League glory yes they claimed it but not in the way they could have this was not that same dominant team we saw at the beginning of the season where this team could have gone on to 402 105 points at the end of the season but they chose really not to and they also really seemed to lose that offensive power that we were so used to seeing, especially out of Salah, out of Mane. Uh, their midfield wasn't as strong anymore. Alexander Arnold and Robertson out on the wings for those wing back pairing really wasn't as strong as that we were accustomed to seeing them. That's why I think they slipped the second. With your argument of Chelsea, I actually put them into third. While this is going to be all their signings and their potential, like I've mentioned, are really high. This also has to be a thing in the Premier League that we've come accustomed to is teams starting hot. If you don't start hot in this league, it's very rare that you catch up to first and second place because those first, those few, first few games of getting that chemistry and getting that gel together is truly what matters in those first few matches. So it's a bold prediction of having them at third, but it also could really bite me in my posterior. My fourth place, and this I, I think it's going to come as a shock, and it might hurt you a little bit, Sean, and I'm sorry for this. I'm putting Tottenham at fourth. I know. You're looking at me. You're looking at me nuts. But listen to me. This is still a team that just two seasons ago made the Champions League final. And they really haven't changed all that much, and they've made some key additions here. Gareth Bale has been in talks with Jose Mourinho to potentially be coming over to Tottenham. He could be coming back home to where his whole league really started. And those two, we've seen them in the past work together, and they've been nothing but deadly. Joe Hart was signed to be a, goal, better, a veteran goalkeeper, and he still has the talent. I know he's not England's number one anymore, but he still makes the team, year, he still makes the club year in and year out. They've also made a few other signings. Giovanni Lo Celso coming over from Real Betis. Matt Doherty coming over as well. And Pierre-Emile Hosberg coming over. So expect to see a Harvey White who saw uh, the last few matches in at center mid get benched and Hosberg fighting for a spot against Dombele. So I think there's a lot of talent, especially in that midfield spot, kind of replacing pieces that really weren't working so well. I think Harry Kane, if he can stay healthy, there's always up there for being a golden boot contender. And even when he's not healthy, he still finds ways to find the back of the net. And even sitting out a few matches still ends up being up there in the top five, top 10 of top goal scorers of the season. So that's my top four. I know Tottenham's not a team you want to hear up there, but it's a, it's a surprising one to say the least, I know. I'll just say I, I think Manchester United is a lot, has a lot better than Tottenham, especially with their attack, and I think they'll finish above Tottenham. I, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying, if Manchester United can't get penalty, penalty goals, they're going to be sixth or seventh place. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. And yes, Arsenal's not making the top four, unfortunately. Sorry, buddy. I, I, I didn't want to hurt you like that, but yeah. The MLS is starting to look normal again. We are, we are having matches on the weekends. Sunday nights are big for the MLS. How about last night? Portland played Seattle, and the El Trafico took place between LAFC and LA Galaxy. Colin, I want to start with you. Pick two matches from this past week and discuss your thoughts on them. The floor is yours. I know one of the matches you and I were both interested in talking about, and we, we will discuss this right now, uh, just so we can get your opinion. Let's talk El Trafico. 
Uh, we had two, we had a lot of rivalry matchups this weekend again, and we're going to continue to get them further down the line, especially as the season progresses, just due to the way that the whole divisional thing is standing out. So the LA Galaxy taking on LAFC. LAFC coming off a huge match, winning five to one. A huge match that really saw that spark of offense that they were missing against the Seattle Sounders just the previous week where they got dominated three to one. The LA Galaxy came in and Christian Pavone being the same player that we have seen year these last couple years now with squad just continues to be exceptional and continues to show why that the LA Galaxy brought him in. He provided for Zlatan Ibrahimovic and he continued to do so in this matchup against LAFC. Granted, yes, LAFC did have to play with only 10 men after losing uh, Mark Anthony K pretty early on in the match, but he's also a very essential central midfielder there for uh, LAFC. Christian Pavone, just his control on the ball, he's got six goals and four assists so far in this season and just continues to be a bright spark in what seemed to be a pretty dull LA Galaxy team, especially in the MLS's back tournament and even towards the end of last season. Pavone was just continued to be a bright spot. And another surprise, which I, I don't want to say he's been too big of a surprise since he's made a few caps for the men's national team, is Sebastian Legette, who actually had two goals in the match against LAFC in El Trafico, and also probably is going to end up getting the goal of the week with a sumptuous, yes, sumptuous, I'm improving my vocabulary here, Sean, bicycle kick to get to put LA Galaxy up 3-0. Three, three and now we're looking at this. Chicharito has been out with an ankle injury, and now he could be coming back. And I know you discussed this last week, Sean, on Blinded by Sports last week. And do they really need him? I, I really dis- I discussed this in an article uh, on the Rich Report, of another, you know, another friend of ours, that this signing itself was really not the best idea for the LA Galaxy. And this the Galaxy winning, they haven't lost since that 6-2 to two thrashing that they took against LAFC in the MLS's back tournament. They drew against Houston just the following week, 1-1, one to one, and they've continued to find the back of the net in every match since. This is a team that is dangerous on the attack, and I think Chicharito is really going to hinder them because they're going to try and find his feet so often. They're really going to try and direct just one-way traffic. And after realizing that you can have all these lanes of traffic open and continue to have a free-flowing highway, and now you're going to put some traffic back in there and only get a one-lane direction, I mean, after a little bit of a while, you're going to start getting a traffic jam. So El Trafico is going to start taking on a whole new name if uh, Chicharito starts hogging that ball a little bit more, trying to find the net himself, and doesn't let Christian Pavone take over this team because he's – He's the real superstar here. I don't want to focus on Chicharito because Pavone's the real all-star here. How about the wordplay from Colin Fuchs here? I've been a little rusty the last few weeks, Sean. I got you know, I got to get my metaphors and similes real back and going here. Oh yeah, because you are full of those. Yeah, I also want to touch on this match. This is one of the ones I was going to touch on. Yes, Christian Pavone. He to me, he's the MLS's version of Christian Pulisic. If you look at his game, what does Pulisic do well? He's explosive, he's creative, and he finishes really well. What does Pavone do? Oh, wait a minute. He's creative, he's, he's explosive, and he has a great finish. Christian Pavone is a star in this MLS. Galaxy don't need Cheater. Like you say, he's, he's, he's going to provide a traffic jam at some point, and El Trafico is going to take on a whole new meeting. 
But Vaughn is what the Galaxy need. They don't need two strikers. They don't need Chidorito. All they need is Christian Bavon to do what he does and get others involved. You got Christian Zubach scoring for LA Galaxy in their first two to nothing win over LAFC when play resumed. And then Sebastian Legit with with the brace. I think the reason why Legit has struggled is because he's constantly had to keep up with stars around him, and that's not that's not what Legit does. Legit is an opportunistic scorer. That's that's what his game is. He's like Will Bruin for the Seattle Sounders. And, yeah, he, he scored a brace. Why? Because Christian Pavone had a glorious chip-in goal to give him a one nothing lead. And then Pavone has d- directed all the attention and allowed other players to score. If LA Galaxy continue to play like this and not have Chitarito, the Galaxy are really going to be a dangerous threat going forward because you, it's going to be hard to convince me that anyone else besides maybe Jordan Morris for Seattle that's playing better in the MLS than Christian Pavone right now. Just don't bring back Chitarito. Find a way to sell him somewhere because it's not going to work. Just Christian Bovone's your guy. Use him. And he's much better than Zlatan ever was. Yes, Zlatan scored hat tricks. Yes, Zlatan is a legendary striker. But let's be real, he just stood around half the time. Watching any LA Galaxy game, it's, it was clear he just stood around almost the entire time. The Galaxy have a potential to be in the MLS Cup final. They really do. I don't I yes, their backline's a little shaky, but they got a great goalkeeper in David Bingham, who really is underrated, I think, in the MLS. Colin is shaking his head at me. Why are you shaking your head at me? He's not even in the top ten of best goalkeepers in the league. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I think he's lower top ten. I, I he I have constantly watched LA Galaxy games and he makes huge save after huge save after huge save. I think what he does for LA Galaxy is underappreciated. The biggest reason is that LA Galaxy's backline has not been good the last few years. Because of that, Bingham has really been left out to dry quite often. He has to make up for it. That's why I think Bingham is a top 10 goalkeeper. He, he has less to work with than, like, I'm sorry, like, Stefan Fry is in the top five easily. But let's be real, he's always, he's almost top always three. At, top three. <laughs> okay, yeah. But Stefan Fry has always had a good backline to work with for most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. He's had more to work with than David Bingham has most of the time. Let's be real here. So Bingham really provides an insurance, a goalkeeper, in case they have a defensive breakdown. Combined with all of this, I just really like the way LA Galaxy is going forward. All right, Colin, what is the second match you would like to discuss? I mean, it's, it should be no shock. It should be the, ever, the other rivalry match, the, probably the best rivalry in all of Major League Soccer, the Portland-Seattle match. And simply because after what we saw Seattle do to Portland in Portland, the reason I want to talk about this is not for, obviously, yes, it's Seattle. It's obviously my favorite team. But I really want to talk about Portland, which physically disgusts me, uh, and the dominance that they had in this match. Uh, first off, congrats to Eric Williamson, who was absolutely the player of the match. Uh, truly, I mean, he scored, he's had a goal and an assist on the Felipe Mora 83rd minute goal. He was constantly just frustrating the Seattle midfield, frustrating the Seattle back line, which we'll all get into that here in just a second. Uh, the offense for Seattle in the first half of the match was leaps and bounds ahead of what Portland wanted yes granted they scored a goal in the first 10 minutes that was later called uh back for 
uh, offside. Oh, wait, no. Sorry, I'm thinking a different goal. Uh, it was a beautiful one, one-two pass put in between Diego Valeri to Eric Williamson, who got his first goal of the season. Congratulations to him, first goal of MLS. Uh, but it was put in between six Seattle defenders. You had uh, Shane O'Neill back, Christian Roldan. You had Yamir uh, Gomez-Andrade. You had um, Kelvin Leardam back there. So many opportunities for someone to at least get a foot on the ball, but Diego Valeri does what he's done for his entire career so far in Portland and just put a ball where no one else really seems to be able to and allow for Eric Williamson to be on the back of it. And it was great. It was a great run by him because Williamson being a midfielder could have stopped his run, but he saw where the opening was and he continued to be that secondary run and allowed him to be open to put that ball in the back of the net past Stefan Fry. And then Kelvin Leardam comes back and scores a goal, which for a right back, Kelvin Leardam has now easily put himself from, even in the last two seasons, he wasn't discussed about so much, especially as to someone you're familiar with, Roman Mentenaire, uh for Minnesota. We've heard so much word about, and a Reggie Cannon, guys like that. Uh, Leardam has slide, has like really deceitfully slid himself into a top five right back position uh, in, the, in the league. And it's simply because not only is he great at getting back on the defense, but he continues to find the back of the net. Just last season alone, he was in the top five for goal scorers for Seattle. And he's a right back. Similar shades of Trent Alexander-Arnold, not the same player by any means, but similar shades to that. But this Seattle defense is dreadful. Yes, I've been blessed at being able to watch players like uh, Chad Marshall back there, Roman Torres. Uh, You look back at the older days of, uh, Tyrone Marshall, Leo Gonzalez, even Ozzy Alonso coming back and helping that in the central defensive midfield, and even Gustav Svensson, who had to play center back. This is a whole new back line, and I think Shane O'Neill and uh, Andrade Gomez is really the best option out of the two, just because Javier Arriaga is just too inconsistent, and I really think that this three-center back pairing is just not going to work for Seattle, and I think they need to get a bigger signing on center back or just someone who's more experienced, at least in this league, just because clearly the center back pairing isn't working. The offense is really no issue. We've seen that game in game out. They're finding the back in the net. They're struggling to do it, but they're still finding it. And it's just really hard to see a Seattle team be this inconsistent, but they had the chance to take first place and it seems like they really don't want it. Kansas city blew their chance to really push their lead in the Western conference and Seattle had the chance to jump them in the first place. And they just haven't seemed to want to take that first place spot. And like I said, last week, this is the hardest division I think to play in. You've got San Jose, Salt Lake, Portland, Seattle, LAFC, LA galaxy. Yeah. Plenty to talk about. Oh yeah. And don't forget about Minnesota as well in there. Now, because they did just beat Real Salt Lake four to nothing, which very impressive, very impressive victory. I'm not going to talk about that though. What I do want to talk about, my point, my controversial point last week was proven to be correct. Philadelphia Union is not the best team in the Eastern Conference. This was proven this Wednesday night when the Columbus Crew beat the Philadelphia Union one to nothing. The Columbus Crew are five points ahead of the Philadelphia Union in the Eastern Conference. This is this is ridiculous. I want to point I want to point out something here. Philadelphia constantly does not know how to finish chances, 
Against Portland, they were the better club. Well, guess what? You didn't win because you missed a penalty and you missed a bunch of wide-open chances. Against Columbus, you barely lost possession, but you had just as many shots as Columbus. Oh, wait, you couldn't score? Hmm. Interesting. This, I've seen this from Philadelphia the last year and a half. They can't score when they absolutely need to. Yes, they had that impressive 3-1 comeback against the Red Bulls in the playoffs last year, but let's be real, the Red Bulls really have tanked since 2018. They, they, they've just really tanked. They've been mediocrity incarnate since 2018. I'm sorry, you're going to tell me that a club is better than Columbus right now? All right, let me just, let me just rattle this off here. This is every Columbus match starting in July 11th with the MLS's back tournament. I'm, I'm, actually, you know what? I'm going to go back to March 1st when they had their first match. I'm just going to rattle off how many goals they've given up per match. NYCFC, zero. Seattle, one. FC Cincinnati, zero. New York Red Bulls, zero. Atlanta, zero. Minnesota, one. Chicago, zero. NYCFC, one. FC Cincinnati, zero. Philadelphia, zero. FC Cincinnati again, zero. Oh, wait a second. So if, if my math is correct, that is 10 matches, three goals conceded. Three goals conceded. How are you supposed to score on this team? I don't understand how you're supposed to score on this team. Watching, watching the film, they are so aggressive. They outjump almost every header attempt. They don't need Zach Steffen anymore. Yeah, Zach Steffen is great. I'm not going to dispute that. But Columbus does have a good goalkeeping and backline option. There's a reason that the top club in the, in the MLS Eastern Conference, they're five points ahead of Philly. Philly is not the best team. Columbus is the best team, and they proved that this Wednesday. What do you got to say about that? In my argument here, you, you know, you brought up – you know, the, the goals allowed and things like that. And that's all fine. You brought it up though. Look at the pool of talent they've had to face. You're talking FC Cincinnati, who's been in the bottom of the league since they joined the league, the New York Red Bulls, who is not the same team that they were five years ago and are one of the worst teams in the league. Atlanta United, who couldn't buy a goal in the MLS's back tournament. And they proceed to lose to Minnesota in the tournament itself. Then you have Chicago, who's trying to rebrand itself. Again, also doesn't have a shaky back line. Well, now you finally take on a good attack in NYC FC and end up losing to them. Oh, wait, and then guess what? You go back to the Cincinnati-Columbus game, 0-0, and then you only beat Philadelphia by one goal. All you, I appreciate your arguments here, Sean, but look at the pool of talent that you, they've had to face. You're telling me FC Cincinnati, Atlanta, again, a team that is now resurgent and trying to find its attacking strength here. Minnesota, a team that you obviously is your favorite team in the league right now, beating them on PKs, and then Chicago, a rebranding, and then NYC FC, a much better team, a team that, again, you highly rate in the East, they end up losing to. That's just my argument here. You're telling me a team, yeah, of course Columbus is going to beat Cincinnati every week. That's just guaranteed. But guess what? They drew 0-0 to them. And yes, I understand they came back only to proceed to win 3-0 later, I'm just saying, a team, if you, you can't be that inconsistent. And yes, I get they beat Philadelphia 1-0. to zero. I'm just saying, you let Philadelphia hang around too long, they're going to catch up. I think when it comes to playoff times, Philadelphia is going to dig deep. Oh, yeah, like, like they did against Portland, the semifinals, where they choked on their chances. Interesting. All right. <laughs> Woo! Hasn't gotten that spicy in a little while here. It's getting spicy in the kitchen. <laughs> yes.
See, honestly, I've noticed. I just thought of this. I've noticed that in sports, I usually underrate Philly teams more than others do. I I've noticed this. I have a lot of people think the Eagles are going to win the division over the Cowboys. Not happening. And I've gotten backlash for that. I underrate the Phillies. I think the Mets are better than them, which I still think that. Gotten backlash for that. And Sixers, I've never been a fan of, while some people think they are incredible. No, 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 no. I'm tired of overhype. Oh, don't even get me started on the Flyers. Everyone was hyping them up as the Stanley Cup favorites. No, 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 no. Never bought that for a second. I'm tired of overhyped Philly teams, and the Union are the perfect example of that. Can't wait to see them choke in the MLS playoffs. That happened. I'm back in the Union on this one just because I've, I've committed too far now. <laughs> All right. Well, we, you know, Sean. Speaking of uh, speaking of teams that might have been underrated or overrated, I know you wanted to jump into this right now. Here in the NBA, obviously, we're we're seeing a different uh, difference here in the NBA playoffs, and we, I think this is the first time we've truly dug into the NBA so far since we brought back Blinded by Sports. Here's an interesting interesting tale we've got going on. Here we are in the conference semifinals out east. Are we having a little bit of trouble here in Milwaukee? Early on, we saw them go down 3 nothing, and they just barely scooted by in overtime to beat the Miami Heat in game four, 118-115. to uh, We saw Giannis dealing with a in- nagging injury that he's had throughout the season, and we really thought he'd get better. And here he is now with a leg injury. Sean, what's your take on this? Because they're down 3-1 to to Miami, uh, a team that – I mean, Giannis is obviously one of the top three players in the league, maybe top five, depending on what you say, but top five, I'm saying top five. Trade Giannis. There, I said it. Giannis is not an alpha male. He is not a leader. Plain and simple. Giannis also, I don't consider him a top five player. I don't. Why? He can't shoot! How are you supposed to how are you supposed to be a top five player if you can't shoot? Like I'm sorry, I'm I'm sick and tired of seeing all this hype around him when the guy can't shoot to save his life. He can't a jump shot. Yes, he can score inside. Well, of course you're seven feet tall and have like a seven-seven wingspan. Of course you're gonna score inside. Can you hit a three though? Oh wait, you can't? Oh, that's kind of everyone. Everyone gets on Ben Simmons. Why don't people get on Giannis? Why? What? Because he's the great freak. Oh wait, he has an insane Euro step. Okay, cool. And what is it? What is it? What has he done in the postseason in his career that is special? Oh wait, he swept the Pistons and beat Kyrie Irving Celtics last year. Ooh, I'm supposed to get excited on that? No, stop. Notice that the one game that that Giannis does not play, the Bucks win. Coincidence? I think not. Giannis is not supposed to be the leader of a team. He's supposed to be the number two. Honestly, if you put Giannis on Miami, he's the he's the number two to Jimmy Butler. Plain and simple. Giannis is not built to lead a team. If I'm Milwaukee. You have a golden opportunity this offseason to get a lot. You're getting eliminated by Miami. Not, no one's coming back for three to nothing. It doesn't happen in the NBA. Like, that series is over. But you know who has the number four pick in the NBA draft? 
He has a top five pick. Who's that? The Golden State Warriors. Hmm. They kind of have some stars right now still. They still have Draymond Green. They still have the Splash Bros. They still have talent. So guess what? What if you take Clay Thompson away from Golden State plus their fourth pick and you give them Giannis or another variation of a trade? You can get a top five pick in this draft. You can get possibly another star that fits the, fits the team better. Going forward, the Bucks have a great chance to reestablish their brand. They have a chance to, to gather a team of shooters. Middleton will become much better. I can promise that. And the Bucs will be a force get. They're not winning a championship with Giannis at the helm. Plain and simple. I don't care about MVP. doesn't matter. Russell Westbrook won MVP. And how did he do that postseason? Nada, zippity, zilch. Nothing. Oh, yeah. How, how has Russell Westbrook done in postseasons? Hmm. Not great. There's a reason Kevin Durant left him. There's a reason why the Rockets are not championship contenders now. It's simply put that James Harden also does not get it done in the postseason. If you don't get it done in the postseason, that means you're not a leader of a team. Do you know who gets it done in the postseason? Damian Lillard. He is an alpha male. He gets it done. Damian Lillard can carry a team. Yes, Portland did not get it done against the Lakers, but he was severely outmatched. But Damian Lillard, it took everything he had to get them to the postseason, and he led them to the conference finals last year. That Damian Lillard can be the number one option team. You know who can't? Russell Westbrook. You know who can't? James Harden. You know who can't? Giannis. Trade Giannis, Milwaukee. Yes, fans are going to be pissed. I don't care. If you can get the, a top five draft pick and possibly another very good player, ooh, that's going to work really well. I am, I'm sick and tired of seeing everyone hype Giannis and then the Bucks don't do diddly squat. Nothing. They don't – Giannis can't do anything in the postseason. Simple as that, really. So, I, you saying he can't shoot absolutely baffles me, Sean, because you're telling me a guy who is now shooting uh, more three-point attempts this season than he shot in his entire career and is still shooting 30% beyond the three-point line and is averaging over 20 points a game and is averaging double-digit rebounds, you're telling me right now that he can't shoot? Come on, man. Giannis is easily a top-10 player. Yes, I get maybe he can't do it in the playoffs. There's been plenty of star players who can't do it in the playoffs. Looking at you, Reggie Miller. Um, but just saying, there's plenty of, plenty of players who can't get it done. He's also dealing with a nagging injury. Giannis is easily uh, – yes, I believe that he's going to get traded because we've seen it, we've discussed it, that he could go to, go to Golden State, which could make them that much more of a force. Just saying there. Giannis is a top-10 player, though. You can't deny that. And he can shoot, man. You can't tell me that a guy who's shooting 30% this season from the field beyond three-point line when he's taking more attempts now and he's also shooting 55% from the field. Come on, Sean. This guy can shoot. At least give him credit for that. Okay, he has shot more from three, but 30% is still low. Also, he's a power forward. <laughs> he's a point guard. 
He's solid for a power forward, though. He's a point guard. He, he literally forward. dribbles the ball up the court almost every single time. He's a point guard. It's because he, he's the expected alpha. He's a Ben Simmons. He's an expected alpha. But he's oh, yeah, not, and how is he's Ben, not how supposed, is ben He's not supposed to be a point guard. He's a power forward, but Milwaukee's playing him in a position that he's not supposed to be in. Boom. Right, and how has Ben Simmons done with Philly? That's besides the point. <laughs> is it, though? Because you mentioned 55%. Yeah, those are all layups and dunks, dude. The, the, of course he can hit those. But what, I'm just saying, 30, 30% from, as a power forward, that ain't bad. I'll take that from a power forward. Yeah, okay. Like, 30% from your best player, okay. That's a great recipe for success. If you if my power forward shoot thirty percent from the uh, from the three point line, I won't be too upset. But yeah, Milwaukee's not making it through. Anyway, so yeah, to summarize this all, Milwaukee's not making it through. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want my power forward to be my best player. It doesn't work in the modern NBA. Not anymore. If this was the 1980s, 1990s, could get it done, but no. Oh yeah, Giannis is in the if, if Giannis is in the wrong era of basketball. If he was in the 80s, he'd be he'd be like Magic Johnson. You imagine? Can you imagine watching uh, Giannis going up against like a guy like Dennis Rodman? I'd oh my god! That. I would pay to watch that. Incredible. Oh yeah. Woo! It has been heated today. It's been so, a good time, but but Miami's gonna make it. Let, so we we've settled that though. Miami's making it to the conference finals. Yeah. yeah I no, mean, let, let, let's talk Miami just real quick. Jimmy Butler been an absolute stud. Obviously, we've seen the storyline of what he's play of what he's come in with, uh, and now just seeing the stat lines that he's put on. He's helping carry this team, but it's also not only is Giannis not getting it done for Milwaukee, and obviously he's going to have this nagging injury throughout playoffs, but the Miami bench is going to prevail over the Milwaukee bench. Milwaukee's just not getting the production from their depth players that they need. Chris Middleton can only take over for so long. Miami's bench is just is going, is going to get it done. They're going to be stronger in the paint, and they're really going to, I think, force Giannis to do what he's going to have to do and shoot the ball more. And where, where your point comes across, yeah, if he's not getting dunks and layups and he's going to have to settle on a three, yeah, I, that, that's where Miami's going to end up overall having to take this out is they're going to do it. The bench is going to support them. Uh, yeah, I expect to see Miami taking on uh, – headed over into the conference finals. Yeah, Miami, they're the perfect team for the modern NBA. They have a bunch – they have shooters galore. They have a glue guy in the paint. Jimmy Butler is a, is a number one option. They're the, they're the ideal team you want. Oof. Let's finish with the best sport in the world, which is the NFL. We talk about soccer all the time. That is a, that is a close second, but I'm sorry. There's nothing better than the NFL sports-wise. It comes back when we record this in two days. Oh, praise the heavens. We are about to hear the best line in all of sports, which is, Seven hours of commercial-free football starts now. The best line in all of sports. Uh, anyways, before I explode with happiness, what we decided to do instead of basic predictions, because that's what me and Johnny Crane are going to do in the next segment ahead of the count, we're going to spice things up a little bit, because we, we don't do things completely chalk here. So we had this great idea. ESPN released a future NFL power rankings, which basically grades the, the potential of a team for the next three years. What we've decided to do 
is we chose three teams and we don't know exactly where they are ranked. So one person will ask, uh, what do you think about this team being at this spot? And then we will react to it. So as an example, I will start off, we'll go back and forth. I'll ask one, Colin ask one, just go back and forth. I'm gonna ask Colin first off about where the Dallas Cowboys ranked. And he may not fully remember where they are. And I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna tell him where they are and he's gonna react to it. So let's do this. Let's do it. Uh, so first off, talking the Dallas Cowboys, you know, America's team. Woo! Our team finishes eight and eight almost every season. No, Dak is the guy. He's the best. Ezekiel's the best running back. Blow it out your butts, Dallas. No. First off, this team is massively overrated, and I hate the hype that Dallas gets year in and year out. How is a team that is going to be eight and eight almost year in and year out? going to consistently be in ESPN's top 10. I don't understand it. Yes, they've arguably had one of the better offenses in the league, but they're so inconsistent. You look at the losses they've had. They lost to the Washington football team, who was one of the worst teams in the league. And then you go up against the Panthers, another inconsistent team. Then you've got a team like the Seahawks, which, yes, you later beat in uh, the wild card playoffs, but you only beat them by two, and then proceed to lose to the Texans, another inconsistent team, the Titans, who really grew throughout the stretch of the season, and then a 9-7 and sevens Ram team in the divisional playoff. What are you doing, Dallas? What do you mean that you're going to be this all-star team? What do you think you're going to be? A no, this is not going to be an elite team. Dak Prescott is not an elite quarterback. I've said it year in and year out. Him and Aaron Rodgers get all this hype thinking that they have all this potential. No, Dak Prescott is not an elite quarterback. He, he's, got, he's, a, he's an average quarterback at best who just continues to get better weapons put around him. And Ezekiel Elliott, if he can stay healthy, yes, he's one of the top 10 running backs in the league. But if he stays healthy, that's their biggest target here. Can people stay healthy? Can Dallas do well? I think the Dallas Cowboys are massively overrated headed into this season. Sean, tell me where they're at. They're fifth. Yep. What did I say? Massively overrated. How are they the fifth best team in the league? I already know you're looking at Baltimore probably being number one. Maybe, maybe the Kansas City Chiefs. Then you're looking at a team like what? Maybe the New Orleans Saints being up there. You're looking at another team uh, – Let's throw out the San Francisco 49ers. Those are probably your top four right there. But then you're putting Dallas at five. They were eight and eight. They lost the, the division to the nine and seven Eagles. Come on. Get over yourselves, ESPN. Anyways, and, I, and I'm going to apologize now to my stepfather, Greg, who is a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. I mean, no harm to you, Greg. Um, but, yeah, they're no, not number five. All right, Sean, throwing this one out here. Let's look at the Buffalo Bills. What do, what do you think here? Are they, or do you think they're going to be overrated or are they an underrated team this season? All right. So basically, the Buffalo Bills, I think, should be in the top 10. They have a very young defense, which, and the Bills in some ways overachieved last year. Yes, they had an easy schedule, but 
the, the Bills had a very solid young defense. Josh Allen has a lot of potential, will continue to grow, especially now that he has a legit deep in, in Stephon Diggs. They have a great coaching staff with Sean McDermott as the head coach. They're a very well-rounded team. They should be top 10 easily. You, you know, Sean, that's, that's not a bad pick for you because they actually came in at number 14. So you, you're putting them a little higher than what they're at. So I think 14? Yeah, they're putting them at number 14. You want to hear who they're behind? And I, I think this, this is a little ridiculous. The New England Patriots. You're Stop. telling me a team without top – No, number 13. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings. And then uh, the Tennessee Titans, arguably, a little bit after how they did. Uh, and then so the, <laughs> their number 10 spot, Sean, is the Indianapolis Colts. I'm sorry, what? Yep, okay. Let's, uh, before Sean has a uh, embolism here on the show, let's, uh, let's move on. All right. So, Colin, uh, so, so, so yeah, so, yeah uh, changing things up from the original uh, saying ranking after the explanation, which is better, but Colin Fuchs, tell me about the Arizona Cardinals. Arizona Cardinals uh, have been at the bottom or third, third to at least the bottom of the NFC West for as long as time can remember. But it's because it's arguably the toughest division in the NFL. And I think, Sean, you can at least back me up on that. The NFC West has been at least one of the most competitive divisions for as long as we can remember. Uh, just because you look at the, the change of teams, that the change of guard that we've had. We've seen, obviously, the craziness that's happened with you know, Arizona and Green Bay in the past. We saw them lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've seen Seattle rise rise and stay in that top two spot there. We've seen San Francisco make it to the Super Bowl. We've seen the Rams play in the Super Bowl. The NFC West has constantly at least been in the conference finals, if not the Super Bowl, what, within the last five, six, six seasons? They've, I think, been up there at least almost 70% of those games. Uh, so I think the Cardinals – my guess is they're probably going to be – I think they're still going to be in maybe the top 20 I want to put them at. This is, I think, a team that's going to be underrated. They're going to be viewed as lower simply because of how they've done last season. Uh, obviously, 6-10 and 10 is not where you want to be. But, again, they're playing in the NFC West, which super tough division. You're taking on the Super Bowl contending San Francisco 49ers, 9-7 uh, and seven Rams, which, again, another inconsistent team. And then Kyler Murray is finally getting advantage, uh, is finally getting some weapons on this. We knew the David Johnson trade and then bringing in DeAndre Hopkins, who is a top five receiver in the NFL. And then you're obviously going to pair him up next to Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk, who he's developed a relationship with. And then you're bringing in another solid running back in Kenyon Drake. I think this Cardinals team, I personally put them in at least the top 20, but I think uh, ESPN is going to put them in a lower ranking simply because they have bias towards other teams. Yeah, they're 22nd. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking is they were going to put them at 22nd. Uh, who are they behind? I'm, I'm curious, at least for that 20th spot. Well, I will tell you, they, they are below they, – they're below teams like the Denver Broncos, even the Las Vegas Raiders. That, that's a little hard for me to hear, but, you know – I think I'm going to let Kyler Murray uh, finally get a little bit more control of this offense. And let's see. Uh, I, I hope that the Arizona defense can do a little more. They need a little bit more on that defensive side of the ball. Really allowed uh, that defensive line to get in the backfield a little bit more. Let's see if they can cause a little bit of chaos, at least in their divisional play. Um, specifically, they are below the Miami Dolphins, which I can actually agree with that. 
and they're below the Atlanta Falcons, which that's dumb. That's yeah. dumb. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's see, Sean. Another team. Let's see. Another team that you could really dive into here. Let's look at – let's go out. Uh, you know, you talked so much in the Philadelphia area. What about uh, – let's, let's, let's move over to a neighboring state. Uh, let's, how about Pittsburgh? Let's look at Pittsburgh, neighbor, neighboring city, I should say. Well, Pittsburgh is the weirdest team, excuse me, team this season. We don't know how good Big Ben's going to be, if he's going to last the season. Even if he does last the season, how good is he going to be? We don't know. But the Steelers do have one of the best defenses in the NFL. The defense basically carried the Steelers to an 8-8 record last season despite having no quarterback half the season. They have a young, tenacious, great defense. Their offense really needs a lot of work. And it's going to take some time for them to really reboot it and get their offensive identity. I'm going to say the Steelers are lower teens, so I'm going to say 17th or 16th. So, you, so you're, you think they're, they're probably a little overrated at this point. Is that, is that your guess? Do you think that ESPN is probably going to overheight them? They're, they're, they're probably going to overhype them a little bit, but at the same time, like, if it's lower teams, understandable considering they need to reboot their entire offense. Oh, Sean, you're probably going to have another heart attack here. Uh, so let, let's just say this, because I, I don't think you're going to have us talk about the top five. Uh, obviously, we know Dallas is at number six. Philly is at number uh, – sorry, Dallas at number five. Philly is at number six. And your good old Pittsburgh Steelers are at the number seven spot this season in what? the ESPN Power Rankings. I don't. To be honest, that shocks me too. Uh, mostly because you know Mason Rudolph is dealing with a dent in his head, and Ben Roethlisberger can hopefully stay healthy this season. Uh, but yeah, without Ben Roethlisberger, this team has no offense. But yeah, I'm number so- what number seven? <laughs> I'm sorry. Where is the offense? Like. Yes, their defense is fantastic, and they do have a bright future there, but do they have any hope for the next three years with their I, – I thought this was a power ranking that was supposed to be, oh, let's look at the next three years. Where is the offense? Where is it? Where's the quarterback? James Conner's inconsistent. The offensive line is deteriorating. They don't have much of a receiver. What? Uh, this is terrible. All right. Let's move on. And, Colin – talk about possibly the worst team in the NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Where do you think they are and what do you think about them? Um, yeah, you brought it up. I think Jacksonville is definitely going to be at least in the bottom, bottom five of the league. Uh, I think they're going to be – I don't think they're the worst team, uh, but they did obviously give away some key components. We obviously know that Nick Foles is on his way out to Chicago. We know that um, – We've seen Leonard Fournette finally get re-signed with a new team. Uh, but they do have some credible wins, especially after last season, with Gardner Minshew at the helm, who's definitely going to be that starting position over the Titans and the Colts. Uh, but this is a team that's going to be defensively vulnerable. They're going to have a lot of youth and a lot of things to figure out. I really don't think they should be the worst team. But at the same time, I really wouldn't be all that upset. However, I think this is going to be an underrated team. We've seen what Gardner Minshew can do. He can, if he's given the right offensive weapons, um, I think we're going to see some undrafted talent. I think we're going to see some practice squad shockers from the Jaguars at least get a shot here. Um, I think Minshew has a, is a better quarterback um, than giving credit for. I won't say he's a great quarterback, but he's a better quarterback than giving credit for. Um, I want to say they're probably number maybe, what, 28, 29? 
maybe with Chicago being behind them, or I don't know. Oh, Colin, Colin. They're dead last, aren't they? They they are dead last directly above them. Okay, this is even stupider, in my opinion. The Carolina Panthers and the Chicago Bears are directly ahead of them at 30 and 31. Okay. Uh, yeah, Chicago, and they recently just named Mitch Trubisky be their starting quarterback. So let we'll okay. see Chicago follow that thirty second spot real quick. <laughs> uh, so, Sean, actually, you brought up my last team, uh, Carolina. We obviously know where they're at. Do you really think that's an accurate ranking of where Carolina deserves to be? Thirty, really, thirty. That is an atrocity. I'll tell you why that's an atrocity. Carolina's making the playoffs this season. There, I said it. Carolina Panthers are making the playoffs this season. Bold pick, I know. Am I, is that probably going to blow up in my face spectacularly? Oh, yeah. It probably will. It, it, it happens almost every year. It could, I mean, it could be like our Chelsea picks over in the English Premier League. <laughs> yeah, 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 whatever. Now – when it comes to when it comes to the Panthers, I think I think they're the perfect team to lead the, the NFL in time of possession. I think they're gonna have the the highest turnover differential in the NFL. And those are gonna be two very key statistics to overcome some lack of talent. Well, first of all, Christian McCaffrey is a top three player in the NFL, in my opinion. He is a he's a, he's a great running back on top of being a great receiver. He can do it all for the offense. Teddy Bridgewater is the perfect quarterback for this system as he limits mistakes, and he can lead seven, eight-minute drives easily. Remember, this is the same quarterback that led the Saints to a 5-0 record when Drew Brees was injured last season. So the, the Panthers' offense will be efficient. And defensively, they only drafted defense this NFL draft. They drafted Derek Brown from Auburn. They drafted Brian Burns from Florida State the year before that. This team is loaded, more than most people would expect. And I think Teddy Bridgewater is the perfect quarterback for the Panthers going forward. Yes, if they get Justin Fields, good Lord, watch out. But let's not disrespect Teddy Bridgewater here. He knows what he's doing. He's an efficient QB. He's a veteran. Remember, he led the Vikings to an 11-5 record and the NFC North title in 2015. He's got game. He's got efficiency. Carolina Panthers are going to su- surprise people. People are sleeping on the Panthers, which is one reason why on the canicark.com I will write a season preview of the Panthers because I'm sorry, y'all need to hear about how good the Panthers are. They're really being heavily slept on right now. 30, 30th, really, ESPN? That's dumb. Yeah, uh, yeah, 30th is, I'm, tell- I'm sorry, you're telling me the Carolina Panthers are behind the New York Jets. The Cincinnati Bengals, who granted probably just got their franchise quarterback, Joe Burrow is not going to change a team overnight. The Washington football team, who a team that's a, an organization that's so disjointed they can't even pick a stinking name. The, the Detroit Lions? I mean, maybe that's a little arguable, but yeah, Carolina's definitely going to be better. Uh, yeah, a little, a little quick segment there. I like that little segment. Uh, yeah, I think we're and we'll definitely dive into some more NFL this season for sure. Oh yeah, especially with especially with me being an NFL super fan. Super fan indeed. That is going to conclude Blinded by Sports on the Kenny Clark podcast. Be sure to check us out on KJAC Spotify, where this segment, along with Ahead of the Count, will be posted on the same episode. Also, this episode will be posted on the Kenny Clark. It'll also be posted on the Mechanic Park Spotify. Be sure to check us out there. 
For Colin Fuchs, I am your host, the Kenneth Clark himself. Have a great rest of your day, and yay, the NFL is back. Oh my goodness. It is that time of the month. It is that time of the week. It is that time of the year, folks. I am your host, Johnny Crane. This is Ahead of the Count, episode 10. Oh my gosh, this is 10 episodes already. I am joined by my co-host, Sean Clark, today. And I know Sean Clark is grinning ear to ear right now because I know his favorite sport, or almost his favorite sport, is about to crack into gear. Yes, the NFL is back. It is September. And the Houston Texans and Kansas City Chiefs kick off the season this Thursday. So, Sean, before we even get into anything else, how are we doing today? Doing great. Like you said, the NFL is about to turn. When we record this, it is two days away from the start of the NFL season. My favorite sport and my other favorite sport returns on Saturday with the Premier League. So I'm very happy. So we got a lot of stuff to write. And, and I'm not even joking when I say a lot of stuff to write. Same goes for, for, for Mr. Crane. But ah, things are great. Uh, before I let Johnny take the reins with hosting, be sure to check us out on the Canada Clark Spotify, KJAC Spotify, and the CanadaClark.com, where content is posted every day uh, with Johnny Crane's last article being a breakdown of the Atlanta Braves, a Labor Day-themed article, which was fantastic. And he'll definitely have more in the coming week as there's a lot going on this week. Yep, so just a quick lineup of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to do NFL, then we'll do Premier League, then the NHL for all the folks out there. So let's start with the NFL. That is, of course, the big topic of the week. We're going to do a little bit of a segment. It might take a while, but we're going to do division winner predictions wild card predictions as well so we're going to start with the nfc so sean i want you to i want you to take me through every single division winner of the nfc give me a couple quick points on why and then just wrap it up you know what to do just the shot's all yours chief all right so when it look when it when when it comes to the nfc it's it's there's a lot of great contenders i feel like this is a season where there could be two, maybe even three wildcard teams that are just as much as Super Bowl contenders as their, as their divisional counterparts that are going to win the division. So the NFC was more challenging than the AFC to come up with division winners. Let's get into it. Dallas Cowboys will win the NFC East. I know that makes you very happy as a longtime Dallas Cowboys fan. Simply put, they have more weapons, and Dak Prescott is healthier it's easier for the Cowboys to depend on their quarterback. Cowboys win the NFC East. NFC South, it's going to be a battle between the Saints and Bucks. For their first matchup is this Sunday, which is going to be the big 225 or 425 Eastern late game. Saints are going to win simply because their defense is better. Bucks have a terrible secondary. This is Drew Brees' real last chance to win Super Bowl. He's, he's going to go out guns blazing, and the Saints are going to be on a mission after three heartbreaking years of playoff losses in a row. And Tampa Bay, yes, they have a terrible secondary, but their offense is fantastic. Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, ridiculous. Fantasy football lineup. They're, they're going to be a strong foot seed in the NFC. They're going to be a very strong wildcard team. As for the NFC North, I, I see this division being the weakest division in the NFC. I don't think there's a real great team in this division. I'm going to pick the Minnesota Vikings to win simply because – they have a very good defense. They got Yannick Ngakwe. 
They got Justin Jefferson to bolster the receiving core. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, and Dalvin Cook is still one of the best running backs in the NFL. I don't think any of the other teams in the division are even playoff worthy, but we'll get to the card teams later. And then the NFC West, going to be a battle once again between the Seahawks and 49ers like it was last year. Remember last year, the Seahawks had all the running backs injured and a, and a banged-up defense, and they were one yard away from taking the NFC West from San Francisco. The Seahawks are much better this season. But running game is healthy, better offensive line, better front seven, and they got Jamal Adams, so they're secondary, which was the weak point last year, is so much better than it was a year ago. So because of that, I think the Seahawks will take the NFC West from the 49ers. And the 49ers, still good, but yeah. Not going to win the NFC West. Those are my division winners. Okay, Sean. We have some, pretty much the majority of agreement, except for one division. So I'll go through my NFC picks. So the NFC East, even without the bias aside, I do have the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, their secondary has a little bit of a question mark. However, when you compare them to the Philadelphia Eagles, I still think there's a lot more balance on offense there, even with a new head coach and Mike McCarthy. The offensive line's a little bit older, a little bit less depth, but it's still okay and good enough for Dak Prescott. And also, CeeDee Lamb, Gallup, and Amari Cooper, enough said. Dak Prescott should have a pretty solid year. But the other thing I want to mention real quick before I move on, the, the Dallas Cowboys, per CBSSports.com, had the third easiest schedule in the entire NFL. 459 strength of schedule. So I think they not only have a great lineup, a great offense, and even though they have a new head coach, I think they have an easy schedule to help transition into a new head coach. I don't think that'll be too big of a problem. As for the NFC North, it's the Minnesota Vikings. We'll go into the wild card teams in a bit, but like you said, good defense. When you compare them to the rest of the division, I just think that there's a lot more balance there from top to bottom on the depth chart. The Green Bay Packers do have someone by the name of Aaron Rodgers, but they don't really have anybody to, for him to throw to. And when you compare the Vikings running game and defense to the Green Bay Packers, it's not even a contest. It's the Vikings to lose. For the NFC West, I am going with the Seattle Seahawks as well. Simply put, Wilson is better than Jimmy G, in my opinion. And also, Seattle's 509 strength of schedule is tied for 13th, but the 49ers have a 527 strength of schedule. So I think the 49ers have a harder strength of schedule. They have a not necessarily a worse quarterback, but a less skilled quarterback when compared to Wilson. And I think their depth is also a little bit of an issue. They didn't have a draft pick between the second and fifth round, I believe. And I think that could play a factor in a shortened, not, a, not so much a shortened season, but with no practice that could lead to more injuries and that could hurt the 49ers. So here we come to our disagreement, Sean. Look, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, okay? Whatever, I don't care what pundits say. I don't care what experts say. The Saints are going to make the postseason. We'll get to that in a minute. But I'm going with the Buccaneers, okay? Look, COVID-19, okay? COVID-19, not a lot of practice. However, yes, the Buccaneers secondary does have question marks, but they did address some of that in the draft. And I think that might be enough with that offense to get the Buccaneers ahead of the, ahead of the Saints. Just a little, okay? Look. The Buccaneers and the Saints, they might have 48 to 45 games, 51 to 48 games. But I think when you look at the depth of offense, I've been saying it for every postseason. I'm going to say it for the NFL as well. Roster balance or significant strength? Well, the Buccaneers' significant strength is their roster balance because their offense is stacked. And not only the wide receiving core, not even the tight end core, but also the running back core. And I think the running back core of LaShawn McCoy and Leonard Fournette 
heading that that group and not even talking about the other ones, I think that's going to play a huge factor into keeping and keeping Tom Brady healthy because he's on the other side of forty. He doesn't have to throw as much, so I think that could play a factor. And in the long run, again, Tom Brady has the experience. He's in Bruce Arians and air raid offense. I think the Buccaneers, they won the offseason. I'm going to take them to win the division. So any thoughts before we move on to the wild card, Sean? You've been drinking the Tim Bay Kool-Aid ever since they got Tom Brady. You, you, wrote, you wrote an article for the Rich Report back in March talking about uh, Tampa Brady and Tampa Bay. So I'm not surprised. I can see it, though. Let's move on to the wild cards. Yeah, you want to you want to move on to the wild card because you don't want to think about Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and the Tampa Bay uniform, right? No, it's terrible. <laughs> All right, Sean, I'll give you the reins once more. Give me first off, we're gonna split up the wild card too. So I want you to give me, in no particular order, I want you to give me the traditional two wild card teams that would have made it. And then with the plus one, because again, the NFL has an expanded playoff format this year, there's a third wildcard team. So first, give me the two teams, and then give me the third team that might sneak in based off of that expanded format. Yes, I'm a Patriots fan. I do not like Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski on the Buccaneers. Unfortunately, though, they are going to be fantastic, and they will make the postseason. I'm just going to go in order. They are going to be the fifth seed. I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be an 11 and five five seed. We've we've seen that before. Last year, the Seahawks had a, had an 11 and five record, and they were a wild card team. The Buccaneers are just so loaded on offense, and yes, their roster balance is great. I have question marks about their defense, but their front seven is still very solid. Devin White is a linebacker that can just make plays all over the field. He can stop the run. He can cover tight ends. He is, he is a stud with the fifth pick they made in the draft two years ago. So the Buccaneers are going to be the fifth seed. And the sixth seed will be the San Francisco 49ers. I, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. Obviously, the 49ers were undisputedly the best team in the NFC. They dominated both the Vikings and the Packers to get to the Super Bowl. And they had a lead in the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl. The problem is, though, they got worse. DeForest Buckner... Their star defensive lineman is gone. They, ha- they trade him to the Indianapolis Colts. While they did get Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk in the first round, you mentioned it. They didn't have a pick in the second or fifth rounds. Because of that, the 49ers' depth is not as great. The reason they're still making the playoffs, though, Kyle Shanahan is still the best offensive mind in the NFL. He can make a lot happen with less, as well as any coach in the NFL. Because of that, the 49ers are still going to have a lot of success. They're just not going to be as good as, say, the Buccaneers or especially the Seattle Seahawks. Now, when it comes to the plus one, the team that will sneak in the playoffs, Johnny Crane, I'm going to make a bold prediction here, a prediction that not many people are also going to make. And I am higher on this team than maybe most pundits and and experts are. I don't think the Green Bay Packers make the playoffs. I don't think the Philadelphia Eagles make the playoffs. I think those two. I think their depths are not what they should be, especially in a season that could possibly be in, more injury riddled than most seasons, just like baseball has been this year. And also, I don't trust their quarterbacks to not only be healthy but also produce. The, neither team has a substantial amount of weapons, and that doesn't bode well in a NFL that has increasingly becoming more pass heavy. But the team that it will is will make the playoffs, I think, is not a pass-heavy team. Instead, it's an efficient team. That is 
I think the Carolina Panthers make the playoffs. A lot of people think they're going to be last place. Not happening. I think they're making this playoffs. Two reasons for this. Number one, Teddy Bridgewater is the perfect quarterback for the system. I am really sick and tired of people saying, oh, Panthers about to tank for Justin Fields. Stop. Just, just, just stop. Teddy Bridgewater is a very efficient quarterback. He led the Saints to a 5-0 record when Drew Brees was injured last year. He knows how to make plays without turning the ball over. He's not going to wow you, but he's going to take care of the ball. And in an offense with DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, and a defense, the Panthers drafted all defense in the draft. Their defensive depth is much better. And they have some very good players on their defense. They draft they drafted Brian Burns in 2019, and this year they drafted defensive tackle Derek Brown. I love how the Panthers' defense is improving, and I think Bridgewater will lead them to a lot of 17-13 type wins. And I think the Panthers, when you look at the season ending, they will lead the NFL in time of possession. And that is huge if you want to beat other teams that can throw the ball better than you, which is why I think the Panthers can steal a game or two against the Saints and the Buccaneers because they'll take the ball away from their powered offenses. Carolina Panthers will make the playoffs for the CandyClark.com. I will write a season preview for the Carolina Panthers, so look forward to that. All right, so my wild card is pretty much chalk when you look at the other division picks I had. I'm going to go with the San Francisco 49ers and the New Orleans Saints. Yes, the 49ers have a hard schedule. Yes, their depth could be a problem, but I still think they have a good team as is. Jimmy J is still an okay quarterback. They have good rushing depth, so I think they'll sneak in. Well, not sneak in. They'll make it. They'll be fine. And then, of course, you have the New Orleans Saints. I think it'll be practically a coin flip between the Buccaneers and the Saints, and whoever comes out losing in their head-to-head matchups will end up as the wild card team, as the second or first. doesn't really matter. They'll make it. As for the plus one, now I was went back and forth on this. I went back and forth between a couple teams. It wasn't the Panthers, but – To me, it came down to strength of schedule to a degree and also the division that you're going up against. And while I don't really like the Eagles' chances going deep into the playoffs, when you compare the Eagles' division versus, say, the Rams' division or the Cardinals' division, I think the Eagles' division is a lot easier considering you have to face Washington and New York. Now, yes, New York will be able to score points, but I think those two matchups – them playing them four times is a lot better than playing, say, the Rams and Seahawks four times. So I think I'm going to go with the Eagles based off of that. Yes, Wentz has an injury history, but he did everything with nothing last year. And even if by default they got some more weapons in the draft, and I think those weapons could play a factor into giving Wentz a little bit more weapons to play around with. It might not be enough to go far in the playoffs, but I think it might be enough just to sneak in. So I'm going to go with the Eagles as my plus one. Now, significantly what this means when you look at my division predictions and the wild cards, I left out the Rams and I left out the Packers. To me, when you look at the Rams, their depth, again, harder schedule, I think they're going to be okay, but I think it's just a tough division. I think the Cardinals are really going to surprise people, and I didn't put them in this playoff prediction thing. However, they could be a dark horse that surprises a lot of people, and I think people need to watch out. And then, of course, the Green Bay Packers, I left them out too. Where are their weapons? Oh, yeah, they got Jordan Love for three years in advance. But 
they got lucky last year. I don't, I think that luck is going to run out, and I just think that the Vikings are going to take care of business, even though the Vikings kind of struggled last year against the Packers. So that's going to be my NFC thing. Sean, let me talk about the Carolina Panthers real quick. Okay. I like it. I think they're still a year away. They brought in practically a college staff. I don't know how that college staff will – fair in the NFL through its first season, but you know what? We like boldness. We don't like chalk. I like the bold pick. It's not necessarily that that, that the that the coaching staff is dynamite just can turn around. I just think that their their offense is efficient. And when you have an efficient offense that can hold the ball and score, that's really going to be dangerous. Now, in a year, they could be a lot better, I think. But when you haven't explained the playoffs, the Rams have have the worst depth in the NFL when you look at it. There there are bad teams that have better depth than the Rams do. Yes, the Rams have a have one of the best starting lineups in the NFL. But outside of that, yikes. Just just look at the Rams preseason the last couple of years. It d- does not look good. And the Green Bay Packers, yeah, Devontae Adams is one that is a top five receiver. I will die on that hill. But who else do they have? else do they have the only reason they beat the seahawks in the divisional playoff game last year is because the seahawks had no secondary oh wait hold on a second the seahawks do have a secondary now is his name is jamal adams that's all they need in the secondary so that that's that's why i have the panthers it yes it is a bull pick you're absolutely right but at the same time i don't see much better options moving on to the afc you know the drill again sean I want you to take me through each division winner, then I'll go through mine, then we'll go into the wild card, and then we'll just talk in general. So, the reins are all yours, Chief. Starting with the AFC West, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Do I really have to say why? Patrick Mahomes. AFC North, again, do I have to say this one as well? Lamar Jackson. Moving on. Let's talk about the other two divisions, which are much more interesting. The AFC South it was the toughest division to pick a winner for. Yes, the Buccaneers and Saints, that was, that was a difficult decision. But in this division, there are three teams that could win it. So that made the decision harder. The team that I'm going to go with is the Indianapolis Colts. They have probably the best overall offensive line in the NFL. The Raiders are certainly up there. Cowboys are always in the top 10 offensive line. But the Colts, they have the best overall offensive lineman in the game in Quentin Nelson. Philip Rivers, now that he doesn't have a terrible offensive line like the Chargers have had the last few years, I feel like he'll be a lot more efficient. The Colts will emphasize the run more as they don't want Philip Rivers throwing the ball 50 times like he did with the Chargers last year. And the Colts have a better defense. They got DeForest Buckner now. That's crazy good. He is going to wreak havoc for other quarterbacks such as Deshaun Watson and Ryan Tannehill. Good luck, Gardner Minshew. I think the Colts have the best roster balance of any team. Yes, the Titans have a good roster, as we'll talk about later. But Colts, very efficient. I think that I think they're a slightly better version of the Carolina Panthers without having Christian McCaffrey. That's like the one big difference. The Colts have a lot of great efficiency, and you'll see the Colts' defense being the top ten in most statistical categories. I will say that right now. And when it comes to AFCs, look. Patriots have won the division basically every single year going back to 2008. Not basically, they have. This this year, that's going to change. The Patriots are not winning this division. I don't even think they're going to be second place in their division. 
I don't I don't think the Patriots will be that great. Stay tuned for my preview of the CanClark.com for that preview, which is not going to be easy to write, but it is going to happen. The Buffalo Bills are by far the best team in this division. Yes, the Dolphins are good. They're, they're a very sexy pick. Problem is, though, I don't trust their quarterback situation, and I still think they're a year or two away. The Bills, they were 10-6 last year with a very young and raw team. This year, they're better. They got Stephon Diggs now. Their defense, which was young last year, is a year older. The division is theirs for the taking. They're going to grab it, and they want payback after a absolutely devastating loss in the wild card round to the Houston Texans last year, and a game that was just pure insanity. Moving on to my AFC pick. So I'm going to start with the AFC East. Look, I like the Buffalo Bills, and this is not a slight at them at all, but they are the default winner in the AFC East to me. The Patriots, I think they're going to have a little bit of a downturn. I still think they'll win games with Cam Newton, but it's not going to be anywhere near enough to usurp the Bills. And they have someone by the name of Stephon Diggs, like you said. And that's really significant because who has practically the strongest arm in the NFL? Josh Allen. Well, now he has a default threat. So I think the Buffalo Bills, even though they're a default pick, I think the Jets and the Dolphins are still a year or two away. Like you said, they're a good team. I'm going to give them the AFC East division crown. As for the AFC North, it's the Baltimore Ravens. They pretty much bring back all of their weapons. They had a great draft to supplement those weapons. Lamar Jackson is a thing. Practically the only question for the Ravens now is how Lamar Jackson favors Bears in the postseason. But the Ravens will get there fine, even with a deeper division this year. So I'm going to give Baltimore that nod. As for the AFC South, look, me and Sean usually are on the same wavelength, and that pretty much builds true for the AFC South as well. I really like the Colts. Philip Purpose has an offensive line now. He doesn't have to throw 50 times a game, but I still think he has enough arm strength to throw down the field if he needs to. And luckily for him, he has the wide receivers to do so. And I like the running, depth, running back depth that they got in the draft. So I really like the Colts to take the AFC South. AFC West, duh, it's the Chiefs. Look, the offensive line is a little bit older. Yes, their running back depth could be, you know, they're giving pretty much the reins to Clyde over to Lair. They're first round pick but even with those question marks they're not significant question marks it's the Chiefs division to lose they're the running Super Bowl champions for a reason all right Sean so now now is where it could get a little bit spicy because I think you and me had practically aside from the Panthers thing we were practically unanimous on the wild card I'm not sure if we're going to be unanimous for the wild card in the AFC so give me the two and the plus one the two, the two wildcard teams are going to be from the same division. And I think that the Houston Texans and Tennessee Titans will both make the playoffs as the fifth and sixth seeds. The Tennessee Titans were in the AFC Championship game last year. Trust me, that is not something I thought I would say this time a year ago. The Titans being in the conference championship game is, let's just say it was a nice surprise last year. It was not a chalk result whatsoever. It was very nice to see. The Titans... They, they, in some ways, got better this offseason, mainly by just adding to Davion Clowney to bolster their pass rush. They're mostly the same team as last year. Now that Ryan Tannehill has a target on his back because of what he did last postseason and the regular season where he took a 2-4 and four Titans team, 2-9-7 and nine and seven record in the playoffs, and two road playoff wins, and also keep in mind, the Titans did have a 10-point lead in the AFC Championship game. So it's not like they were just blown out. They jumped out to a 10-point lead and were looking pretty good. 
So the Titans have a target on their back. And I think because that Tannehill will struggle a bit more and Derrick Henry will not have the same performance he had last year. So I think the Titans will take a step back, but they're still a very talented team. Titans will make the playoffs as the fifth seed. The sixth seed will be the Houston Texans. Look, Bill O'Brien is a terrible coach. The problem, though, is that Deshaun Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. He basically carried the team on his back as he led them from a 16-0 deficit against the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs last year. I know they traded DeAndre Hopkins, which was the stupidest move of the offseason by far. Well, actually, let me scratch that. It was the second dumbest move behind the Green Bay Packers, not drafting a wide receiver. I, that, that makes absolutely no sense to me. But the, the, if you look at the Texans, they actually have a pretty pretty deep receiving core. You have you, Kenny Stills is still there. You still, you still have – you've got Randall Cobb from the Dallas Cowboys this offseason, which was a kind of a bizarre move. But, hey, what, what, what can you do about that? And you also got Brandon Cooks. So you do have a deep receiving core. And Deshaun Watson will do just enough to lead the Texans at the playoffs. They'll probably lose at 4.30 Eastern on Saturday in the wild card round because that's literally the time slot they always play the wild card game. And it's, it should be known as the Houston Texans wild card slot because they practically play in that almost every single year. They're still going to lose in that, but they're still making the playoffs. Now, for my plus one, this is also a little bit of a ball pick. I have seen other people throw in Miami. I have seen people throw in the Chargers or the Steelers or even the Browns. I've seen people put the Browns in this spot. No, 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 no. I'm going to choose a team who really came out strong at the end of last season. They ended the season 4-1 and one last year with a young quarterback, and they really bolstered their offense this offseason. Of course, I am talking about the Denver Broncos. Johnny, you wrote an article about the – Broncos improving offense, and you're absolutely right. Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler are fantastic additions to this Broncos offense. And with Drew Locke really gaining confidence after going forward one at the end of last year, I believe the Broncos will take the next step. And that's on top of improving their defense by adding cornerback AJ Boye. Their defense is going to be better. Their offense is going to be much better. And I think the Broncos will take care of the Chargers and the Raiders. I don't think either of those two teams are going to show much this season especially the Chargers with that much of a quarterback. I think the Broncos will have a strong division record, and they will take the last wild card spot and face the Baltimore Ravens in a seven-versus-two matchup, which, why? Okay, I'm going to start with the plus one. We agree on the plus one. I'm going to go with the Broncos as well. I really like their offense. Yes, they have a young quarterback, but – I really like the wide receiver depth that they supplemented in the draft, but also we need to re- remember that they brought in someone by the name of Melvin Gordon. And while Melvin Gordon was okay with the charges, he goes into a situation at Denver where he has depth behind him. He has Patrick Lindsay and such. So he doesn't have to rely. He doesn't have to do all the rushing attempts. They have enough depth to keep him healthy through the duration of the season. He's had injury issues in the past. So I think that definitely helps, but also, He's going into a situation where the scheme is also better fit. He, you know, in college, he was at Wisconsin. The scheme wasn't really the same at Wisconsin where it was at the Chargers. But now the situation is a little bit better. So I think that could definitely play a factor too. Okay, so now is where we disagree. I also have two teams in the same division in the wild card, but it's not from the AFC South. It's not from the AFC South. I'm seeing you, Sean. I know you're saying no, 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 no. 
I'm going yes, yes, yes. I like the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm going to start with the Browns first. First off, they have the fourth easiest schedule in the NFL. That's number one. That the only the Cowboys have an easy schedule. The Browns have an easy schedule too. Also, when you look at the Browns, let's first off let's compare someone by the name of Freddie Kitchens to Kevin Stefanski. Kevin Stefanski, even though he's going into a position where he's in his first ever head coaching job, to me, I've watched video on him. I've listened to his interviews. I've listened to Kitchens' interviews. Stefanski seems more poised. He seems more prepared for the job. And I know that's an intangible. It's not so much an analytical thing. But I think that intangible is what the Browns have been missing from their head coaches in many years. There's a reason they've gone through 50,000 head coaches in over the past 20 years. There's a reason for it. And I think they might have finally found a head coach that has the poise and has the demeanor to go through a season with Cleveland. Also, let's look at the personnel real quick. Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. Are you kidding me? Those are six weapons right now, and I'm not even talking about the depth options. Let's go with the offensive line. They got someone by the name of Jack Conklin from the Tennessee Titans, and they got Jedrick Wills from Alabama in the draft. That alone will help Baker Mayfield not only maintain a better pocket presence, but he won't have to scramble as much. And I know that Baker Mayfield's play style revolves around scrambling, but now he can scramble on design plays as opposed to scrambling on forced plays. There's a difference. And I think when you look at all the depth, you know what? I know the Browns have had their issues over the past few years. Browns fans have read this script before, okay? I get it. But this year seems a little bit different. I like their depth. I think Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback than he was last year. And I don't think he has to be elite to be good with that offense and with Stefanski. So I think I'm going to go with the Browns. And now this one's a little bit of a coin flip pick. I went back and forth, but I kind of like the Steelers' health. And, of course, health is an issue with any team. If you're not healthy, you're not going to win. But I think Big Ben is going to be a lot better. The elbow issues are behind him. Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster will be healthy. He missed time last year. James Conner missed time last year. They're all healthy. That's going to be really good. Their offensive line is decent. They have a good set. They have a good front seven. I think their secondary with Minka Fitzpatrick is really good. When you look at the wild card and the plus one, when you add a plus one, you're going to have a team that goes eight and eight or seven and nine and is going to make the playoffs. So while I have the Broncos as the plus one, it wouldn't surprise me if the Steelers are the plus one instead. They might go seven and nine. They went eight and eight last year, and that would have given them a playoff spot if the expanded playoff format was a thing last year. So I think with what they did last year injured, now healthy, even in a tough division, I'm going to give them the nod. So as you see, I left out the Texans and the Titans. Let's start with the Texans. Yes, they got Cooks, they got Cobb, they got Stills. You know what that is to me? Those are good wide receivers. But to me, that's quantity. They traded quality. They traded quality in the form of a top five wide receiver in the entire NFL, arguably maybe even top three. And to me, always give me the quality over the quantity. Because yes, Hopkins might be in double coverage, but he can still catch the ball. And I have questions on whether Bill O'Brien Bill O'Brien is that head coach to lead the Texans for. I know that Deshaun Watson's a great quarterback, but honestly, they traded away their best asset. And they exchanged it for a slot receiver in Randall Cobb, Brandon Cooks, who's okay. 
I mean, these are okay names, but they're not great names. And to me, you need great names to really stand out and make the playoffs. And then the Titans. Look, I wrote about the Titans earlier. I wrote about Derrick Henry. I think Derrick Henry is going to be good, but he rushed for over 300 snaps last year. And I wonder if he can stay healthy over the duration of the season in a season with no preseason, in a season where there's minimal practice as is. And I think that could lead to some injury concern. And, of course, Ryan Tannehill played amazing last year. I wonder if he can replicate that this season. All right, all right, all right. Steelers and Browns. Okay. I can, I, get, I can understand where you're coming from. The Steelers have one of the best defenses in the NFL. They're young, tenacious. J.J. Watt's an absolute beast. Mika Fitzpatrick was the trade acquisition of the year last year. I get all that. Here's the problem, though. Are, are you really going to trust old man Ben Roethlisberger to, 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 to spend a season healthy and make the playoffs? I, I'm not. I'm not as far as I can throw him. There's no way. Even if Roethlisberger is healthy, I don't think he's going to be that effective. He, he came off of elbow surgery. He's 38 years old. Uh, the offensive line is not what it used to be. I can't trust the Steelers team to have any success. Yes, they did go 8-8 eight and eight with basically Mason Ruff and Duck Hodges. That's, that's because they had the easiest schedule known to man last year for the most part. They played a lot of teams that they were easily better than. They played, they're like the Packers. They got extremely lucky with their schedule last year. And it's not, it's not going to be the case. The, the biggest reason for this is, is look, who they, look who they will have to play in the NFC. In the NFC. They're, they're going to have to play the Cowboys, have fun with that, and they're going to have to play the Eagles. I think they lose both of those games simply because the other teams have better quarterbacks. The Steelers are not going to make the playoffs – simply because other teams have better quarterbacks than they do. Ben Roethlisberger is going to be mediocre at best when I look at it. Yes, he could prove me wrong and have an amazing season, but how much is there really left in the tank for Ben Roethlisberger? And the offensive line is not what it used to be for Pittsburgh. If they had the offensive line of two, three years ago with Mike Munchak as the offensive line coach, maybe I would have more faith, but I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to invest stock into Ben Roth, old man Ben Roethlisberger. Now let's talk about the Cleveland Browns. Again, Deshaun Watson and Ryan Tannehill are better quarterbacks than Ben Roethlisberger, and I'll even say Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is a very erratic quarterback who, honestly, I don't know what to expect from him as well. He could possibly be a, a dynamite quarterback like he was for the second half of his rookie season, but I feel like that was more just he caught lightning in a bottle. The Browns were 2-6-1. and one. They fired their coach. They had an easy schedule. So because of that, he just let it rip. The problem is that the Steelers' defense is way better than the Browns' is, and I feel like the Steelers will sweep the Browns this season because of how good the Steelers' defense is. Yes, Kevin Stefanski is a good offensive mind. The problem is I don't think the Browns have the personnel that is disciplined enough to do it and oh by the way yes they drafted Jedrick Wills but their offensive line is still a mess their offensive line is still a mess I don't trust the, the right half of their offensive line same goes for the Texans yes the Texans and Browns both have weak rights as offensive line the problem is that Sean Watson is a lot better quarterback than Baker Mayfield and I don't even need to pull up stats for that one it is true 
Sean Watson's a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. Ryan Tannehill is better quarterback for the Titans than Baker Mayfield is a quarterback in general. And I, it, I learned my lesson. I picked the 49ers to beat the Chiefs Super Bowl last year. I learned my lesson that usually the better quarterback wins. It's as simple as that. Un- unless, unless the rest of your team is much better, like the 49ers and Packers, I will give the benefit of the doubt to the better quarterback. It's as simple as that. And I think the Texans and Titans have an overall better roster than the, Cle- than the Cleveland Browns, especially defensively. Yes, the Browns have all this talent, but how well do they work as a cohesive unit? Not very well. Texans, their overall roster balance does work better as a cohesive unit. Same goes for the Titans. Me and Sean usually agree, folks, but we're disagreeing on this point. And usually, you know what, I'm coming to Flagstaff next week. Me and Sean will settle it by fists. Moving on, let's move to the Premier League. Bring it. Okay, Chief. All right, settle down. I'm in charge here. I'm the host today. All right, Premier League starts this weekend. So we're going to do a similar thing that we did with the NFL. We're going to give you the top four for next year's table this year's upcoming table, how the top four will play out. So same thing, Sean, to keep it a little bit quick. Give me the four teams. And just give me a couple tidbits on each one. Go. The Premier League is back this Saturday morning where Arsenal will play Fulham at 4.30 in the morning, West Coast. Uh, you, just, you just love being in the, in the Arizona-specific time zones. We'll saw the year. It's lovely. But the Premier League is back. Time to talk about the top four, as you asked. The Premier League champions this year are going to be Manchester City. Yes, they didn't get Lionel Messi. Big sad for them. I bet they're all very disappointed. Do you know what? This is actually with a blessing in disguise because now they can just continue with what they were doing. Manchester City scored 99 goals last year. Insane. They led the Premier League in scoring, and I think – that will continue this year. And because Liverpool does not have the urgency to win the league anymore, because since they already did it, there's not going to be as much of an urgency for Liverpool to win the Premier League this year. I think the urgency will go back to them overcoming the disappointment in this year's Champions League. Man City will come out guns a-blazing. They, they still have a loaded front line with Raheem Sterling, Bill Bowden, Gabriel Jesus, Sergio Aguero still injured, but Gabriel Jesus is very capable. They're going, they're going to win their Premier League. Their, their front line is too good. De Bruyne is the Premier League player of the year. He just won it. And with Nathan Ake joining the back line, their defense has gotten better. I think Man City is just too loaded to not win the Premier League. Now, this is going to be a shocking pick here. I don't think Liverpool is the second team club. I think Liverpool is third. Liverpool showed some flaws last season. Firmino struggled to score at home. And Liverpool's defense sometimes got a little bit lackluster. Yes, Virgil van Dijk is great. But the rest of their back line did show some cracks in their defensive surface. And the midfield is not as stout as it has been in years past. So because of that, I think Liverpool is third. Second place, and I know you're going to absolutely love this, but it's going to be Chelsea. 
To me, Chelsea is a slightly worse version of Man City, in, but in some ways better. They got Ben Chilwell, possibly the best left back in the entire Premier League, to bolster their terrible back line. Thiago Silva will finally give them some consistency at the center back. Their attack might be in some ways better than Man City's. Timo Werner is a world-class striker. He will deliver when, it, when, it, when it's needed. Akeem Ziyech is – just watch him passing. Just watch him passing the ball. It is one of the most beautiful things you will see. He is such an incredible facilitator that I cannot wait to see what he does. Now, for Manchester United, they will be fourth. They will just edge out Arsenal for fifth place, as much as I don't want to admit it. Manchester United has a loaded top five. Bruno Fernandes, Anthony Martial, Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford, and Paul Pogba. All five of these players were the ones that scored goals during Project Restart, and their chemistry is top-notch. And they also added Donny van de Beek, another former Ajax player, like his C.H. for Chelsea. And he will really continue to bolster the, the creativity of the midfield. Manchester United is going to be one of the most fun teams to watch. Manchester United will, will secure the final Champions League spot. So Man City 1, Chelsea 2 with their with their little offense. Oh, I didn't even mention Kai. Good Lord, Chelsea's attack is going to be ridiculous. They could score go more goals than Man City. That is a legitimate possibility. Liverpool third and Manchester United fourth. Okay, so we have the same four clubs, but they're in a little bit of a different order for me. So I'm going to go Man City number one. Obviously, you know, you know, even without Messi, that saga behind us, the divorce court didn't really settle. They still have a really potent potent and shot-heavy and fast offense. I think that'll be good enough. Their goaltending is good. I'm going to put Liverpool at number two. Now, I know that they have issues. However, you mentioned it in the NFL segment. I'm going to bring it up in this segment. Cohesive unit. How they perform as a cohesive unit. Yes, they have their flaws, but they still perform well. Yes, they didn't really perform well after they won their first Premier League title. But, I mean, once you win that, I mean, there's nothing really else to really play for. Well, I don't want to say that, but they didn't have – they had a lot less to win for. So I think that their chemistry is still okay. And I know that all the time Cameron gets on to me for it. You don't really get on to me for it. But, you know, everybody says, oh, you're the analytical mind. I'm bringing the intangibles today. I'm not bringing the analytics. I'm talking the intangibles. So, I'm going to go with those two as my top two. Now, you're going to be freaking out when I say this. I'm going to start from the fourth. I'm going to go with Chelsea fourth. And here's why. I love all their moves they're made, Sean. I love them. Do we need to go over them? Kai, Ben Chilwell, Hakeem Ziyech. The list goes on and on. However, they have yet to solve one key area. And that's what's holding them back. Keppa is still their goalkeeper as of right now. Yes, they're still talking with other goalkeepers in other leagues. But as of right now, Keppa is still the goalkeeper. And to me, you can have the best back line in the world. But when Frank Lampard has benched you for the past three or four matches and last season and all the other matches too, 
that's very telling to me. That tells me he does not trust Keppa. He does not want to utilize Keppa. And if Keppa goes into this season as Chelsea's goaltender in their depth chart, I'm not sure how that will be. I'm not sure how that will be in the locker room and such. They're going to have to start him. If they keep him with that money they're paying him, Lampard might not like it, but they're going to have to start him. But honestly, it's another thing as well. Again, you mentioned cohesive unit. Well, Chelsea brought in all of these star players. At some point, all of these star players, they're going to take the spot of other star players. How are they going to mesh together? Mason Mal has already come out and said that, yes, he'll fight for his spot, but he's not really pleased about all the new additions. Well, he likes the new additions, but he doesn't really like that his spot is now in jeopardy. He has to fight for it now. And even though Mason Mount understands it and he's fine with it, I'm wondering if behind the scenes that could create a chemistry issue. I do think long-term the chemistry issue will be okay. But as of right now, through the first few weeks of the Premier League, it might be an issue. And that could put Chelsea back just enough for fourth. Man United's third. And I put Man United ahead of Chelsea for two reasons. Again, the cohesive unit and the chemistry. Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford, the rest of their top offensive players, like you mentioned, really good. They're already in place. They know what they they know how they mesh. They know how they operate. They know how to perform. They all know each other. That's good. But the other thing, I mentioned goalkeeping with Chelsea. Well, Manchester United has the double Ds in Dean and David at goalkeeper, okay? They both had 13 clean sheets. Dean Henderson is back with the team after on loan with Sheffield United last season. He had 13 clean sheets. That's anything better than what Chelsea had. That alone, that goalkeeper depth alone, to me, will put Man United, as of right now, at the, before the season even starts, I'm going to put that goalkeeping certainty over the goalkeeping uncertainty that Chelsea still has. Okay, we are disagreeing on a lot today. All right. Let me counteract your points about Chelsea. First of all, yes, they have goaltending issues. Yes, Manchester United have 13 clean sheets. Here's the problem. David De Gea is allergic to, to goalkeeping perfection. What I mean by that is that time in and time again, David De Gea lets easy balls go right through him or he just drops them and they go into the net. Manchester United's goalkeeping is a somewhat of a problem. Also, I mean, Ederson, as good, of a, as good of a goalkeeper as he sometimes is, he can have some really poor performances. Goaltending is much more important, I think, in hockey than it is in soccer just because of how big the net is. If you have a great shot, it's going to go in no matter how great the goaltending is. In hockey, you can literally be a brick wall and save every single shot no matter how low the other team plays, which can be a really frustrating thing about hockey sometimes where you can completely outplay one team, but you lose four to nothing because simply the other goalkeeper saved every shot. In soccer, it's not as much like that. If you get a great shot on goal, no matter how great the goalkeeper is, a lot of times it'll go in. That's why I don't look at goalkeeping as much of an important aspect as I do when I'm looking at predictions, simply because I look at the back line. I think, I think the back line much, is much more important than it is in hockey, the way I look at it. And because of Chelsea's additions, I think I trust their back line more than Manchester United's. I, I, I simply do. The center backs of Manchester United are an absolute joke. Phil Jones, really? The, the biggest meme in the Premier League, that, that's who you're trotting out as center back often? Oh, Harry McGuire. Oh, wait, he went to prison in Greece. Ooh, that, that's a problem. 
I trust Chelsea's backline more than Manchester United, which I can't believe I'm saying that. If I said that a month ago, everyone looked at me like I was crazy. Here's the other reason why I like Chelsea more. You realize that Chelsea finished in the top four last year with, with a very inexperienced front line, with a terrible back line, with terrible goalkeeping, and decent wingers. You're telling me they finished top four with that and they got five times better? They got five times better. And I think because of that, you're really going to see a, a, a surge in points. They're not going to lose to West Ham United. You kidding me? If they would have beaten West Ham last year, they actually would have finished third. And remember, they beat Manchester City last year with, with that very flawed team I talked about. Just something to think about. I get the cohesion unit. You mentioned about Mason Mount. I think this actually will be good for him because, yes, he's not pleased. But guess what, Mason? Go earn it. And he will, I think. That's why I'm, that's why I'm not worried about Chelsea. They're way better than last year, and they still had success. Also, don't ever go, go against Captain America. Moving on to the last segment. It'll be a quick snapshot, no pun intended. So the Tampa Bay Lightning destroyed the Islanders 8-2 to in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Dallas Stars beat out the Golden Knights in a stingy 1-0 game. So, same theme, same thing like you did for the other two segments. I want you to give me the winner of each series and one reason why. That's it. One. Go. The Tampa Bay Lightning are becoming Virginia more and more. They have reached the conference finals, and they destroyed the New York Islanders. The Tampa Bay Lightning, you can just tell, they are going for it. They are out for blood. They want this. I can tell they want the Stanley Cup more than any team. I can just tell. They want a five-overtime game to start the playoffs. How many games they've lost since that? Twice. Two games. That's it. The Tampa Bay Lightning are out for blood. As great as the Islanders' defense is and how stingy their blocking is, the Lightning just simply want it more. Not a super analytical reason, but the Lightning are just pushing hard. And they have the defense and, and the center position to do it. The Tampa Bay Lightning are going to take care of the New York Islanders and get to stand the Cup Finals. And here's the thing. I still think the Vegas will defeat Dallas. I watched their one nothing loss. Dallas had good chances, yes. But to me, Vegas just seemed, just seemed tired. They, their, their attack was very stale. Why? Because they, they played three games in four days. They had to play two days in a row against Vancouver. It's a bit, it's a bit unfair to, to have a quick turnaround to the conference final. I think Vegas will be much more efficient in game two. And going, Vegas is the best puck movement, moving team in the NHL. No one moves the puck better than they do. I dare, I dare you to, to, to give me any team that can move the puck better than them. They, they have very aggressive attack near the goalkeeper. They have a lot of chipping shots because they're very aggressive. And they also are great on the breakaway. Vegas is is one of the top teams in goals scored per game, and yes, they got shut out again. They're a better team than the Dallas Stars, and I in the Dallas Stars, I have to give them credit. Their defense is fantastic. Their forecheck and backcheck, yikes! It is it is scary. 
but they needed overtime game seven to beat the Colorado Avalanche, a team with a very shaky defense and a third string goaltender. What are they going to do against a team with a legit back check and a very good goaltender? I don't think, I don't think that's a good recipe to win a seven game series. So I think we'll have Vegas and Tampa in the Stanley cup finals. Ooh, that would be an absolute cracker if that happens. Because I'm going to go with the contrarian theme. I'm going to go with the opposite for each one of you, Sean, okay? I'll start with the Dallas Stars. One reason, Anton Hudobin. He recorded a shutout, his first career postseason shutout, and he's the fourth Dallas Stars goaltender ever to do that. He's 34 years old, by the way, and he's doing all that production now. He is a puck magnet in a good way. He's stopping the pucks. He's not giving up rebounds. That's projectable. Even with the puck movement that Vegas has, I still think Kudobin is good enough to stop a lot of those pucks from going in the net. He stopped enough from Colorado going in the net, and they outscored the Dallas Stars, and he still was good enough for the Dallas Stars to win the series. As for the Islanders, now I'm putting a little bit of an asterisk out to the side because I think game two is extremely pivotal for the New York Islanders. They have a little bit of a goaltender controversy. Notoriously, Thomas Grice started the final game of the previous series for the Islanders in favor over Semyon Varlamov. Varlamov had a couple subpar games. Grice started the first game of the Eastern Conference Finals, but was immediately pulled after giving up a couple goals. And now Varlamov in game one also gave up four or five as well. So I think there's a little bit of a goaltender controversy there, a little bit of a conundrum. That could be a problem. However, however, the Islanders have one trump card. Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz had, when he was with the Washington Capitals, they could never get over the hump. They could never get over the Pittsburgh Penguins. Then. But then there was that one year they got over the hump and they went to the promised land and won the cup. And I think Barry Trotz now has the experience to go over any hump, even an inter-team hump such as the goaltender controversy. So I'm going to go with the Islanders based off of Trotz's Newly minted track record as he now as he won the Stanley Cup a few years ago. But game two is significant. If the Islanders drop game two, I'm gonna flip my pick. And I know I'm not that's really going against the rules here, but I make the rules here. I'm the host. So so there. So I'm gonna go with the Islanders versus the Stars. A hard nosed, snot nosed, checking Stanley Cup final that you could ask for. That will conclude episode 10 of Ahead of the Count. I was your host, Johnny Crane. Sean Clark, thanks for joining me on this great show. I hope you had a great time. I sure did. I sure did. Thanks for, thanks for uh, taking the reins. And I'm very excited to see how wrong or hopefully right we are with our NFL and Premier League predictions. And I'll, I'll just say this biasly. I really hope the Stars do not make the Stanley Cup finals because that would be disgusting. I, I hope so. I hope they don't too, man. Look, I'll probably be wrong on all my predictions, but that's what predictions, that's how usually prediction shows and pieces go. So no biggie. Be sure to check out Sean's other podcasts on his website, vcantyclark.com. We will join you next week where I will be in Flagstaff, hopefully. So, you know, maybe me and Sean can share the mic or I can be in the other room. We'll be in the same apartment. So, you know, we won't be 700 or however many miles apart we are. So that's great. Can't Until wait. then, folks. Until then, folks, have a good one, stay safe, and as always, have a good one.